Hello there, Pulsing Black podcast listeners. This is your host, Christine, coming back today with an awesome episode. I am joined today by two amazing Black friends of mine who are going to take us on a journey through their travels and their experiences while traveling in their Black skin. I'm so excited to hear and share with them what travel around the world has been for all of us, myself included, um, in our Black identity. So with us today are Isai and Erina. Hi, Erina. Hi. How are you today? I am awesome. How are you? Great. Please tell our listeners where you are from, where you were born, and how that place shaped your Black identity. Yes, absolutely. Well, I am from Saginaw, Michigan. That's where I was born and raised. Um, And so uh, in regards to shaping my identity, Saginaw is a pretty small um, town compared to like a Detroit or Grand Rapids or such in Michigan, more of like a a family type feel, I guess. Mm. And so um, as a result of that, my relationships growing up were really, really important and kind of the people you go to elementary school with, they follow you. To middle school, follow you to high school, you get used to seeing the same people. But it's also a really diverse city. And so mm-hmm. I grew up being like the Black girl in a lot of different uh, social circles and experiences that I had. So even though my neighborhood where I was raised was predominantly Black, I went to school with predominantly white people. Um, I participated mm-hmm. in school and other activities with predominantly white people. And so a lot of times I was kind of like that token black girl, felt like I had to represent black people in those different circles and environments. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. Isai, hey. Hi. Why don't you tell our listeners where you are from and how that Uh, place shaped what was your identity of blackness? Yeah, so good evening. Uh, My name is Isai Dang Omene. Most people who know me, friends and family call me Isai, so... Um, uh, so that's okay. I was born and bred and raised pretty much in uh, Cameroon. That's in the West Central Africa. Hmm. Uh, I moved around within Cameroon quite some. I was born in one part, grew up in another part, went to school in another part. And how did it shape my blackness? It's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's an interesting question because it's the, the question in itself only makes me think about it now, here. Hmm. Back home, I never had to think about my blackness at all. I always thought about blackness in abstract terms with what I saw on TV, I guess. So I think the term of my blackness was always assumed. Mm. And so I never had to contend with, with how it shaped my perception and my, and my, my reception in spaces until I had to actually leave. Wow. Yeah, so I had... Issues that were not with, related to blackness. I had nepotism, tribalism, but I never had to contend with blackness at all until I was an adult. Wow, that's so interesting. But we know that to be true of places in the world, um, outside of the Western world, where being black is not a marker of people's identity, really. Um, and so, Erina, when was the first time that you realized there were different types of Black. What experiences did you have um, perhaps after you left Saginaw that uh, made you wonder, hmm, how is it that the people identify differently while Black, all Black, all of them are Black? 
Yeah, absolutely. So um, when I graduated high school, I went to Howard University for undergrad and mm -hmm. is the black Mecca. And so, um, you know, I was in Washington, D.C. I was at Howard and just found myself in a sea of beautiful black people who were amazing and talented and brilliant. And I was no longer the token person mm. in the group. I would introduce myself in, you know, freshman year and everybody's like, where are you from? You know, what was your GPA? What? Whatever. <laughs> Howard is like, you know, the black Harvard. And so you're like, oh, I had all A's, I had a 4.0. I mean, everybody at Howard had a 4.0 and had <laughs> A's and graduated top of their class and whatever. And so um, at first it was really like an identity crisis for me because I was like, oh shoot, everything that I identified myself by, like everybody's saying that's them too. Mm -hmm. um, so that made me have to kind of check myself like, well, who am I without all of my accolades, right? Wow. And I just had this epiphany and I started to discover exactly who I was. And, um, and it wasn't about me needing to be better than anybody else. It was about all of us being amazing at the same time. Wow. We were my brothers and my sisters and I was proud for every achievement they had, um, just like they were proud for every achievement that I had. And so um, the way we came together and, and just um, supported each other and uplifted each other as a family, regardless of what part of this country we were from, or other countries we were mm. from that black people from LA are different than black people from New York are different than black people mm. from Alabama different than my black friends from Nigeria different than my black friends from the Ivory Coast and we were all black but we were all wow. different, different yeah. wow. to I think that's so beautiful how you mentioned that you know idea of black excellence and yeah. being all the same while different in great ways, in ways that um, demystify all the stereotypes and negative biases that follow us like a dark cloud, where you could be in an environment where your identity gave you pride and so many others around you so much pride. And Isai, my goodness, when was the first time that you realized, oh goodness, uh, not only am I Black in the definition we know it to be, but perhaps there are even different types of Black in, in your environment. Well, I'll have to say that, again, growing up in, in West Central Africa, we are very exposed um, to Western culture. Mm -hmm. And I started, I think, a gradual realization of different Blacks was multimedia, rap, TV, the Huxtable what we saw on TV immediately, we were able to perceive a different kind of black that was not us. Mm. But that was black that we saw mostly excellence on TV. Right. So I always say it to my African-American friends that my first meeting with African-American black is the black excellence. It's the actors, it's the athletes, it's the musicians. That's our first representation of what black America is. That is typically good because that's what America does well. America does export properly what what they cherish in quotes. But that is that's my first actual meeting with it. And then when I left the country, after I did my first degree, when I left the country, I went to Europe. And I have the opposite of Iran much because then I go to a predominantly white part of Eastern Germany. I was doing my master's degree in Cottbus and then later on to Poland. And there I am the, the only black person in my master's degree class and never had to deal with them ever. And it, for me, it's the opposite where you start seeing different behaviors towards you and you can quickly 
contextualize it that the only difference is because I am black. And it proceeds to spaces where oh, there's a language issue, because mm -hmm. for me, it was German, it was Polish. And so although you are black, there are other layers to it that come because of where you have actually grown. And so in terms of my blackness, I think I saw the African-American or my perception of African-American blackness on, on TV and multimedia. But in terms of me experiencing as a person, it was when I went to school in different parts of Europe and I saw different types of perceptions to black, I have to say. I, I saw extremes my blackness some very good some completely abhorrent wow and i can imagine it takes you aback because nobody really prepares you for that <laughs> no you kind don't. of find yourself in it and you're expected to not only function in it but excel, excel. in it yep. um and so that can come as quite a shock and even start to make you internalize things about yourself that you didn't think of yourself before based on how you're being treated and yeah. so erin in the same pace and vein of that, what has been your international experience traveling as a Black American woman, and how was your Blackness received in international um, uh, spaces? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I would say um, traveling internationally overall has been a positive experience for me. And mm -hmm. I guess conditioned a little differently. And, you know, very early on in life, my parents had a conversation with me like, hey, listen, you're Black. And wow. so you to expect this throughout your mm. life for it and be ready for it so you know i had my first real um experience with racism at girl scout camp at the age of 11. so you kind of get used to the way it is in america <laughs> the way it is so i'm very aware of my blackness and very aware um you know that i'm a black female and i have learned how to own that mm. and really carry a spirit of discernment when i travel mindful of the spaces that I'm in and the people that I'm around. I'm very aware. Yes. So at any point, you know, that blackness could be a threat, considered a threat, and then I could find myself in trouble. So it's something that I'm very prayerful of. I'm very aware of, um, and I carry a spirit of discernment. But overall, I would say that, you know, it's been a positive traveling experience. I kind of have a personality along with my blackness that just, um, I have a presence that commands respect. So as I interact, as I'm traveling internationally, there's just something about, I think, the way that I carry myself and the way that I present myself that just, um, you know, commands respect. Even if there is a, a lack of understanding or a disagreement or, or something, personality clash, yeah. respect is just, is just the basic um, requirement there. I would, I would say this, in traveling internationally, any opposition, opposition or ill feelings that I've had is it really hasn't mm. been or people of other ethnicities. It's actually been with other black people. Wow. Yeah, that that would be my experience. And traveling to Ghana, it was actually another stewardess, a black stewardess that gave me the hardest time traveling. And she was African. So I'm thinking like, hey girl, I'm on my way to Ghana. Like I'm thinking we're gonna be cool. And <laughs> she's super nice to the white people sitting in front of me and super rude to me. Wow. Kept kind of, I had braids as I was traveling and she kept looking at me and almost treating me as if I was an imposter. Wow. Mm. Made me think back to a conversation that I had recently with a friend of mine from Ghana who was expressing to me that being a black female in America is different than being a black female in Africa. 
and that wow. it's considered to be different and looked at differently. And that was kind of in my mind as I underwent that experience. Wow. I think what I just heard, which actually really stood out to me as you were speaking, is that Black American people grow up having had a conversation of how their difference in racial identity is viewed by the community, the region, the nation, or the world around them. Whereas Black immigrants, we come from a place where our racial identity, number one, is not something that is either used against us or weaponized against us. And we only learn that that some of us, even as adults, at a place where it's already a threat to us to be who we are based on our skin color. And so it's almost like, Erina, you you kind of had a head start on how to govern yourself and be aware of your identity and be aware of the how you command a room as it pertains to your identity. Whereas listening to Isai, it's like, you know, getting, you know, um, uh, getting the wind knocked out of you because you're like, wait a minute. Well, as soon mm-hmm. as I landed off this plane, the whole atmosphere changed and I don't know why. And the only reference you have is of those portrayals of Black identity you saw in the media. Imagine that being your only source of reference and even direction on how to govern yourself. So that's very Mm -hmm. interesting how we travel opposite journeys from one side of the world Mm -hmm. to another in the same identity and how that shapes our worldviews and even our internalized perception of ourselves and those that look like us. And mm-hmm. so, um, Isai, have you had any moments where you found a connection with somebody in the African-American community or found a resource that you or your family have used to deepen your understanding of what your identity of being Black in America really means for the future of your family here? Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a convoluted question. <laughs> Try to go try to break it down, but before I go, I just wanted to mention something about expectations of blackness. Was mm. once I was studying in the in 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 Europe across Europe, there was the expectations towards me academically from from my teachers were completely different from what I expected of myself. How so? I had grown up with the expectation of academic excellence, mm. not because I was black, but because I was me. Because my parents pushed me. Because I was school school is a thing in in Africa, as you know. Mm-hmm. You don't have a choice. You have to go to school, etc. But then you go to Europe, and, uh, and then in class, your your professors do not believe that you can be as bright as your your work shows that you are. Wow. I think this is a this is a recurrent theme. Mm-hmm. Where have submitted papers, and they have come and asked us what we plagiarized. Or, wow. Who showed us what we did? And for us, at first, it's it's not even insulting. It's just funny because we're just like that's that's us. But over mm. time, understanding the reason why they're asking that because initially you don't get it. You know, wow. so that's that was something that I wanted to talk about. The next wow. one was you quickly realize that there are two types of black. At first, we noticed it abstractly, African American. But once you get into Europe as an African, you quickly realize there are two different blacks. There's the African black and there's the African black and unfortunately the African black is on the lower rung of blackness in those spaces wow and so you are automatically put into those spaces not necessarily as a function of how you look but necessarily as a function of what they perceive you can do if you are well spoken or you're intelligent or you dress well you're automatically African-American Whoa. with you if you are if you are not 
and you are just average looking, then they know that you are from Africa. So they categorize you wow. in spaces. And then third thing, which probably touches a little bit on what you just asked in terms of my first African-American experience in Europe was in Europe. And well, actually not true. There was, uh, there was an exchange program of, of African-Americans that came to Cameroon that was very positive. But my most prolonged, my first prolonged interaction with African-American wasn't necessarily positive. Mm -hmm. In Germany, there's a lot of African-American um, military. Okay. <laughs> it's interactions with African-Americans in the social circle, when you go out, bars, clubs, etc. And there is a certain dissociation that African-Americans don't want to associate with Africans, mostly also because I think they've read the room and they've read the context in which Africans are at a lower rung and they enjoy a certain um, uh, pedigree above that. And so there is a, across Europe, especially with students, you would see that they would not associate with you as much, which for me was sad. It was, it was a little jarring because we always thought about them like, those are our brothers and sisters who are giving it to the man, you know, competing at the level of white people and knocking them down. But our initial interactions are just like, they're kind of like, hey, hey, dude, I don't know you kind of. And so that was not positive. And the flip, mm -hmm. though, you come to the States and then you get to know people relationally. And then mm -hmm. I have a couple of friends that I met at work and you're just like, this dude is really legit. And yes, we, we are different we are also so very similar right. in a ton of things that matter. Hmm. We are dissimilar in some things. We, we have to acknowledge that. But there's a ton of things that tie. Obama always talks about things that bring us together. And round, but that is actually true. That is more that puts us together than uh, puts us apart. But the only wow. is when you start associating with them, finding spaces to associate with each other. And for me, right. actually, book club. We formed the book club where we said we're going to just read African books, only African literature. And how I started actually interacting in earnest with almost all my very good African-American friends. And that's how I got to realize this togetherness, you know, in mm. terms of who we are and what we are. Wow. Thank you for sharing that because I, I can totally relate, as I'm sure a lot of our listeners will, that um, when I traveled out of the U.S. after having been here over 12 years, I went to England for my post-grad studies, and that was the first time I was expected to um, assume an American identity. So there, people like first associated me with being American, and then second with being African, and I would dare say third with being Black, at least among yep. the other college students I was around. And so I struggled because I had just spent 12 years learning how to be Black, so I didn't have a lot of practice being American because the patriotic part of being American, I didn't have time for. Like I was just trying to survive while being Black, and it's almost like, you know, flying the plane as you build it. Like, Nobody yep. told me I'm going to put you in this bubble for three months while you learn to be black before I expose you to the American community. Mm -hmm. I, you know, you land and you have to start getting things done. Your parents enrolled you in school or you started a job or whatever. You have to start, you know, making a life. And so you're doing that as you're trying to break down and process all the nuances of your newly uh, recognized or assigned, dare I say, racial identity, racial identity. that you mm -hmm. didn't have before. And so 
12 years later to then go to England and people are like, aren't you American? Um, do mm. this in an American way or expect you to act American. I didn't even know what they were talking I don't know what that about. meant. So I got so <laughs> exhausted that I just was like, I, I can't do American in England. I'm just going to be Kenyan again. So I was like, I'm Kenyan. And so I just started hanging out with a lot of African international students. A lot of my long lasting relationships from England are with international um, African students and those even from the Middle East. Like, I just wanted to be around them and be as Kenyan of myself as possible because it was exhausting trying to be American because I didn't know how to. And mm. so, Erina, what was your experience in Ghana? Did you find that you um, were either expected or felt pressure to represent an American perspective of who you represented there? Or did you find that you led with your Black identity? Or did you just lead with yourself? Were you able to show up fully as Erina in the capacity that you went to, Ga to Ghana in? Yeah, I was, um, I was actually able to just show up as myself. Wow. And that was the whole thing. Um, I was so and embraced. I, again, I didn't really know what to expect. I had African friends when I was at Howard. I had friends from Nigeria, I had friends from Haiti, you know, all kinds of places that I had friends. And so they had shared a lot about their culture and their home. And so I had heard those stories. I had heard some of the, the thought processes and that from their families. And so it was like, okay, let's see what you know, Ghana is about. We have um, some people from Ghana who actually are members of my church. So mm -hmm. it was cool to kind of talk with them before the trip. Um, but when I went, people didn't really care about me being Black or even necessarily being American. They just wanted to know who I was and wow. like what I was bringing to the country. And I was like, I'm bringing myself. I'm bringing, I'm bringing this, you know, so I was able to show up um, and be exactly who I am. Um, I was able to do a lot of leadership training while I was there, which is what I went for. And it was so well received and um, wow. It's super humbling because the people who I was, I was training, a lot of young adults, they were just hungry for the knowledge and for the information. Like nobody mm. knew me about American stuff. People just wanted the knowledge and the information that I came to bring. And, and that was great. So they were able to fully be them and I was able to fully be me. And we just appreciated one another. Wow. That is beautiful. That is very beautiful. Yes. And I will even let you know um, that when, when I went back home to Kenya after, actually it was last year, after having done some work in social and racial justice, I even saw my country differently. Because I had finally, um, after being in the West over 20 years, uh, found my voice in activism and social justice and in my identity. Because mm -hmm. I used to think that it wasn't my place as an African immigrant to speak up on matters of racial justice because I used to be like, how does this really affect me? Because I'm Kenyan, not realizing that I am operating in a system that was truly unjust and I needed to be part of the movement to make change. And yeah. so when I went home last year, one of the things I brought back home were newspapers. And my, my, my dad was like, why are you taking newspapers home uh, to the US anyway? And, and I said, well, I have friends who are African-American 
who have never seen their representation of Black identity from cover to cover in a national newspaper in all sectors, not just mm-hmm. limited to the, the beauty columns or the sports right. or, right. you know, something related to violence, you know, yeah. just everything, seeing yeah. everything be Black about Black mm-hmm. and uplifting Black or and even Black politics, right? And so uh-huh. I, I brought that paper to um, my boss at the time. And I, as part of some of the things I had got her and other colleagues as, to, you know, gifts and souvenirs from Kenya. And she was really touched. And mm-hmm. I can only imagine how that item was going to be used in her home to serve as an, a representation, even for her children, to, mm-hmm. to see a different reality of their identity, right? Yeah. And yeah. so I know you're both parents. So Isai, I'm going to start with you. How are you educating your babies to be able to be empowered in their identity in this time? I am I'm figuring it out as I go. Mm, that's difficult. fair. It's, it's, it's a very difficult question, mostly because I come with a different parental handbook. Mm-hmm. And I have to, on the fly, decide which parts of that handbook work and which don't and which are necessary and which are not and which are allowed and which are not. Wow. And to feed my kids in this context and which will not. But then when I go through my handbook, there are a ton of pages there that are completely missing mm. on how to be Black in America. I have no idea. I am learning at the same time with my kids. And so... To a certain level, it's frightening right? Uh, because my tools are assured. And as a parent, that is a very difficult place to be. Mm. When you see the world that we live in, in the U.S., and the context of Blackness therein, and, and what can happen in the blink of an eye, and mm-hmm. you, you're, you're smacked with the honest truth that there is, you don't have the tools to prepare or protect those you love the most. It's a feeling of trepidation sometimes. And I'm a Christian, so sometimes I they say, you take it to the Lord and you leave it there, what you cannot handle. So mm-hmm. I am chopping it up as I go, learning as much as I can and then leaving the rest. Because wow. we have come to the reality, my, my kids are not African. They're not seen as African kids. Mm-hmm. Seen as African-American kids, even though they are growing in an African context because my wife is also African and so it is a it's a sometimes I'm sorry for them because they have to navigate the duality of um, experiences but from my perspective it's more like if you can learn you learn if you can associate with others who know a little bit more context you do and that's why when I always talk to my friends black white brown especially my African-American friends I always say in Africa, we talk about raising a child being the village's job. And, mm. and I, it couldn't be any truer than it is now for my kids. Because the idea of the, that African concept of the, the village raising the child means mostly that you cannot give the child everything. It, it's, 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 a, it's an acceptance mm. of your limits. Mm. That's good. And, wow. and, and it's so cogent in here, even more so, but it's just that we need to be able to allow other people that we're not necessarily used to. We need to find community mm. around that we know can help us. So mm. that's African American brothers. That's our Afro heritage brothers. All those who have who have more context within this society. Mm. Black. 
Yes, 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 yes. That is a truth that I haven't heard somebody else articulate as well is in the sense that you acknowledge where um, you don't have lived experience in what your children are going through. I yep. tell people all the time, having come to the United States at the age of 11, I have no experience from age zero to 10 or to 11 on how to be black in America. So if I were to raise a child in this country, in those um, early years, I would lean on what is you're defining as the modern village to raise our children and lean into people who have that experience, who can give me that guidance and fill in where I fall short. And not fall short, but I simply don't have the answers and I don't have the experience. And so Erina, how are you navigating um, raising your children um, and affirming their Blackness as you go along? Yeah. I think it's so important to expose your kids to as much as possible. That's mm -hmm. something my parents yeah. did for me and I'm super appreciative of it. Just to expose them to the world, expose them to different cultures, expose them to their history. Them, they're, they're seeing the world um, in their own context to pay attention and listen and see how they're processing things. You know, my kids have been a part of the Black Lives Matter um, movement. Um, they've been a part of the protests. And, and one of the things that we did um, when they were able to march with me and be a part of the protest was I let them choose what they wanted to write on their sign as mm -hmm. opposed to something on their sign for them. I wanted to know how they were internalizing things, how they were processing things. And I say, I would say to other parents, you know, give your kids that space, mm -hmm. give them space to express how they're feeling about the world that they're living in and then um, prayerfully guide them through their processing and exposing them to as much as possible um, is definitely helping me out with that. I would also say because our, our family is really strong um, in our faith uh, mm. as a family that I'm raising my kids to understand that they are kingdom and they are also black. Mm. So they're kingdom first and, and then you're black. You're amazing, you're talented, you're loved, you're gifted, you're brilliant because you are kingdom mm. and chosen black skin to put you in. And so they take that context of understanding that they are kingdom kids. And then that confidence that they get from that, they're able to better embrace and appreciate their black. And that that is the best way to do it because their appreciation of their blackness doesn't minimize anybody else of any right. other ethnicity, right? Correct. Like I'm black and I'm better. No, no, no. You're kingdom and you're also black. And that's mm. My kids, so they will have an appreciation for their history and their heritage, but likewise, they're able to appreciate that of others. Wow, that's beautiful. Thank you. That is such sage advice. And so, yep. I I wonder since we were um, centering your travels throughout this episode, how would each of you advise anybody who identifies as Black looking to either embark on international travel or who finds themselves um, in the presence of a new neighbor in their community who is of a different Black heritage who just made the journey to the United States? Isai? I've said this to my friends. I've said this to people that I work with, my African-American um, kids, some of the younger friends that I mentor, I'm just like, you need to travel out of the U.S. Mm. Almost to be able to get a little bit more appreciation for being African-American. There is so much more respect for you, I think, out of America than there is for you in America. Mm. Sometimes they need that to be able to see and feel that. Mm. Because you come here and it's almost always the negative. But... Mm. 
everything about America out of here, especially culture-wise, is literally African-American culture that has exported to become American culture. And so when they see yes. you go out there, you would be able to get face-to-face without how people would talk to you and greet you. I think that amount, that, that jolt of self-esteem, especially to my African-American brothers and sisters, I think it's a necessity. So travel. Mm out of here, not only to uh, the Caribbeans to go for, for a vacation, go to Europe, <laughs> to Asia, and go to the motherland, all right? <laughs> it ain't yeah. all that, but there is a connection that you will get that uh, words cannot describe. And I don't mm. say American. I say this as somebody who has had African-Americans who have gone there and come back, and they cannot articulate that the idea that I am not different. Mm. They, I am not, diff- again, I'll let Irina do this, but there's a feeling connecting to the motherland that I think is, is, is absolutely crucial that they experience at least once in their lifetime. And then the last thing I would say for Africans generally when you travel and I give it to all travelers is once you go to a location, try. Try mm. to associate with the people in that location. Mm. Trying goes a long way. Try knowing the language, even if it's just a greeting Also, No matter how much you butcher it, it goes a long way. Because people know that you are identifying and appreciating mm-hmm. humanity by trying to understand what they are and what they bring. Mm-hmm. And I say this because I have seen other people, unfortunately, again, Americans, mostly white, those that I have seen, who go into spaces and assume that everybody should know English. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Or everybody should be able to serve them a burger or something. <laughs> assumption that you should know oh. about this. And that engenders a certain amount of distrust, which mm-hmm. leads to uh, all kinds of things that are not positive. But almost mm-hmm. everyone to a T that I've gone and sent them try to speak the basics in Polish. I couldn't speak Polish for the life of me. But the first people that I talked to and I had learned, how are you doing? And my accent was horrible. I probably was jumbling the words up, but they corrected me and that was it. They were friends until I left. And so try travel out of the US, go get your go and see how much you appreciate it. Travel to the motherland, get that connect, and wherever you go, try to belong, try to assist, try to learn, because that goes a long way with the people whose country you have come to visit. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's good. Yeah, that's really, really good. Erina, Mm. what's your advice to people either looking to travel internationally or welcome new neighbors from other Black countries? Yeah, I would say either way, um, whichever side of the coin you're on uh, with that particular question, to just remember that the world is a beautiful classroom. Mm. So be humble and be present. Mm. Be humble and be present as you're in new places or meeting new people, be humble enough to recognize that God has ordered your steps in that direction. And there is a lesson there if you are open to learning. And I would say to just be a, a lifelong learner, um, yeah. embrace those opportunities, seize those moments to learn and to grow. Um, be humble as you're encountering them and mm. be present, recognize God's glory in those moments when you're in that new place or you're meeting that new person, that is God's glory showing Mm -hmm. up just for you. And if you embrace it, it will enlighten your life. 
Thank you. I think I, I really resonate with that because whenever you meet somebody from a different place, whether you went to their country or they came to yours, that is just an opportunity and a gift to learn. Yeah. You not only learn about that culture, you also learn yourself. You learn your boundaries yeah. and your tolerance and your patience yeah. and empathy, compassion, right? Pa- right? You know, being able to be there with them, meeting them where they are and not a where you expect story. them to be. Yes. Right. Right, right. And hopefully in doing so, we will continue to dismantle the, the single stories that are told about us as a people yep. and start mm-hmm. to diversify what people really see us to be. And so yeah. in closing, Erina and Isai, if you have any upcoming projects or any ways that you would like to share for our listeners to connect with you or reach out to you, this is your opportunity. I want you to promote anything you have going or any um Final thoughts in closing. Isai, we'll go to you and then we'll end with Irina. Oh, yeah. So I, I live in West Michigan and uh, we, we have a collective of um, uh, Blacks. We call it the African Collaborative Network. The idea that is African professionals who are trying to not only reach out into the community, but specifically reach out and close gaps that exist between African and African of Afro heritage, African Americans, Caribbeans. And so I would like more and more people, more and more African, African-Americans, I would like to be able to associate and let us do stuff together because there is no way we will be able to advance and close those gaps, both perceived and real between us, mm-hmm. if we associate on projects that mean, 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 mean something to both of us. So ACN, if you go to Facebook, you'll be able to find African Collaborative Network you you see so i also have a blog it is called the musings of of an afro sop sop simply son of a preacher man i've been reading that blog in and out for i don't know the last 12 13 years so if you have time go and look for musings of an afro sop it's on blogger.com i have some articles there give me some feedback and uh, let me know and lastly i believe the blackness has to be able to grow into itself and biggest way for blackness to grow into its place in this world is by amassing economic power we need to be able to grow into our economy into the best versions of what we can be economically and we need to be able to join forces to do that so we are quite open in terms of um, some of the fun um, some of the funds and that we do in terms of promoting Black business, collecting money for each other and growing businesses because we think that is a major tool in being able to realize um, uh, the best of what is Black around the world. So if you need to, if, if that re- resonates with you, um, uh, you can still hit me up on, on Facebook at African Collaborative Network and uh, we should be able to talk through that, where, where we are investing, what we are doing together. And we would definitely love even more voices and even more perspectives there. So thanks. And thanks again for this amazing conversation. Thank you, Isai. Erina, what do you have going that we can connect to or support? Yes. So right now I am partnering with an organization called A Life for a Life Urban Initiative. Um, And the purpose of that organization is to help create awareness about wrongfully convicted Black men across the country. And there's an emphasis that we're placing right now on um, wrongfully incarcerated and convicted black men in Michigan. Um, and of course, the conversation around police brutality and misconduct is really heavy has been um, all this year, right? 
definitely um, within our country, but what um, we're helping to do is expand that conversation um, to understand that police misconduct extends beyond just the black men and women that are being killed mm -hmm. outright. A lot of people who are being wrongfully convicted and sentenced to life in prison. And so we're trying to shed yeah. light on that. Um, Michigan is actually fifth in the country for wrongful convictions. And a lot of people don't know that. So we want people to oh, wow. um, have the information to stay woke. Yes, because Michigan, yeah, it's, it's definitely going down around here. So we're trying to um, create awareness around that right now. We're advocating for two black men um, in Michigan who were both wrongfully convicted, uh, Robert Hines and Alfonso Clark Jr. Together, those men have served over 34 years in prison for crimes that they have not committed. And so we are advocating and working with um, volunteers and government to try to help get these men out. So if you have an interest in helping to fight and combat social injustice, we would love to um, have you be a part of this movement. Again, it's called a Life for a Life Urban Initiative. You can find us on Facebook. You can always find me at Rev Arena. Um, that's E-R-I-N-N-A, Rev Arena. You can find me, I'd be happy to give you more information. But um, yeah, this is a really serious issue as our brothers, our nephews, our cousins, our sons being snatched off the street and thrown in jail cells for the rest of their lives. And we wanna do something about it. Wow, thank you so much, Erina. And as somebody who never saw the Black American struggle as my own, I urge, I urge all Black immigrants, please connect with the issues that are happening here that pertain to our Black brothers and sisters. It affects you too. It is your struggle too. Thank you so much to both of you for being here today. And thank you to all our listeners. This has been your host, Christine Mwangi with Pulsing Black, and I'll see you next time. Thank you.